We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember, you can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And, of course, you can check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. I'm Kyle Fellows alongside Andrew Mertig, and we are back for another Friday edition of the podcast. Andrew, it is super good to be back. Yeah, it is good to be back. Happy Friday the 13th, but it's not unlucky that NFL free agency is set to start in five days. It actually might be six. I'm not great at math, but um, it's it's soon. It's next Wednesday. Uh, we have the legal tampering period coming up shortly, so we're sure to hear some rumors, um, some, some things that will definitely come to fruition next week. Uh, but before we get started with today's show, we have some sort of breaking news, I guess, or some some uh, topics that we wanted to cover before our main topic. Uh, and number one is obviously, you know, the the coronavirus is, is a major concern and, and certainly all of the concerns are bigger than football. But there are some indirect effects on the NFL free agency period, but more specifically, we wanted to talk a little bit about the draft. Um, and that is number one, we don't know that there's going to be a physical gathering in Vegas. Like people will probably be in Vegas, but we we don't know if the <laughs> NFL um, will be having, you know, the same sort of setup in in the draft that they have. 
historically, but probably the bigger effect is is going to be on the actual lead up to the draft and the pro days. We know the the Packers are keeping their staff back. That was announced just a couple hours before we were set to record that uh, basically Lambeau shut down for two weeks, but then also they're putting a travel ban on their, their scouts and some other folks. So they wouldn't be at pro days, but then we're hearing that some of the pro days are actually going to be canceled. So like, how does that affect some of the draft prospects? Yeah, absolutely. This is really, really interesting. Obviously, as you said, this is a much bigger deal than football, um, but we're starting to see that around the league, that a lot of these teams are keeping their scouts and personnel people back, and a lot of these pro days are already getting canceled. And so what's really interesting is that we may not get full profiles on, on a lot of these players um, as we have in the past. Um, you know, we were talking that the Penn State uh, Pro Day has already been canceled. So guys like KJ Hamler, um, we're really looking forward to a lot of that testing. But, you know, the, the big shiny object is always the 40 time and he's that fast guy. And so we may never actually get that 40 time from him. There's lots of other players um, where this is the case. Um, as far as like the 30 visits that teams are allowed to bring into uh, the facilities and stuff, they use a lot of those visits uh, to do homework on uh, players' background and uh, some of the off the field kind of things um, to do their checks on injuries and things like that. And so there's going to be a lot of ramifications with this. Um, it's going to be an interesting draft cycle with this mixed in in ways that we really haven't seen in years past. Yeah, and you know it's it's obviously going to affect. You, you mentioned KJ Hamler, other people who chose not to participate in the combine, who maybe weren't quite healthy enough, who only did partial drills. Uh, I know you had mentioned that before we got kicked off today. Um, but then you know also a guy uh, like Brandon Ayuk, who we both really love didn't run the kind of 40 that we thought at the combine was very sure that he was going to run a better time at his pro day. And now maybe he won't get that chance. So um, that's interesting, obviously on the very, very low end of the list of, of real reasons to be concerned, but um, something that, that factors into to football since this is a football podcast. <laughs> uh, the Packers had a free agent visit today, a little bit early, but uh, Christian Kirksey, who has been released by the Browns visited uh, Lambeau Field today. So what do you think of Christian Kirksey? Yeah, Kirksey's really, really interesting. He was a really great player for a couple of years there in Cleveland. Has obviously uh, struggled with some injuries uh, recently that has kind of ended his career there in Cleveland, uh, but really has the potential to be a really talented player um, for this team. He's a great coverage player, and um, all things suggest, uh, if you look at his teammates' profiles on Twitter uh, today, that he is a great locker room influence and a leader. So could be certainly someone um, that you could see the Packers taking a swing on. He, the injury history does definitely concern you, uh, but the price tag is certainly going to be right. And he has that connection with Mike Pettin um, that may go a long way. And if he's going to sign a prove-it kind of a contract, uh, maybe enough to lure him to a place like Green Bay to get his uh, career back on track. So really interesting to see uh, Christian Kirksey making his way to Green Bay for that visit. Yeah, I think I had heard that he had played in seven games in the last two seasons, which is obviously alarming, but you're talking about a potentially really low-priced veteran who has the potential to pay off uh, big dividends and and certainly has a familiarity with Mike Pettin's defense and shows a lot of promise. Plus, he's another guy from Iowa. Um, <laughs> and then, finally, uh, we had some coaching staff changes announced today. Kyle, can you please read those off your phone? 
<laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, these are players, or not players, these are coaches that we are intimately familiar with. Do not be um, fooled by this. But the Packers have named Butch Berry senior analyst and provo- promoted rather Luke Getze to the quarterbacks and passing game coordinator role. And Jason Vrabel has been named the wide receivers coach. And that was the big question we knew that the Packers had moved on. And we're looking to go in a different direction at wide receiver coach already this offseason. But it took a long time for them to fill that role. A lot of people were kind of like bouncing ideas around about which direction the Packers might go. A lot of people have been critical now today um, that it was just an internal promotion. But uh, we'll never know if the Packers had this in mind the whole time. But uh, some some upgrades there or some changes anyway amongst the coaching staff for sure. Sure to have big impacts that we could spend all show talking about, but we won't. We're we going to move on to our next to. topic, which is uh, free agency. Yeah, and um, it's fun. Free agency is right around the corner. The draft is coming into focus a little bit more now uh, that we finished up the combine. And the draft will become even more clear once the dust of free agency settles. But today, Andrew and I thought we would combine our efforts as we sit uh, just this side of free agency to simulate what could happen over the next six weeks or so. We've created two different scenarios for you today. First, I'm going to take a stab at free agency, and then I'll let Andrew fix the holes that I leave in the roster through the draft. And then we're going to switch. Andrew will take us through free agency, and I'll finish up with the draft. Uh, Just to give two totally different scenarios of what we could see play out over the next couple of weeks. And so uh, we're ready to jump into this, I think. Are you you ready, Andrew, to jump in here? I, I actually am very ready for this. I've been waiting all week. (laughs) <laughs> All week. We're ready to get into Let's this. Let's go. Um, so I'm going to get us started here with free agency. My approach to free agency was to try to do some things that I think are possible financially, as well as do things that I think that Green Bay um, would do, uh, not necessarily what I would do. So for instance, I remain thoroughly convinced that re-signing Brian Balaga is the right move for the Green Bay Packers. But all signs right now seem to suggest that they are at least considering moving on from him. And so uh, that's what I did here. Balaga does walk in this scenario. In fact, outside of the exclusive rights free agents, I only re-signed two of the Packers free agents that are on that list of guys. So guys like Fackrell, Tremont Williams, and Geronimo uh, were all too expensive to bring back for what they contribute. Uh, But with Brian Balaga gone, I did bring back Jared Jared Valheer and Mercedes Lewis on team-friendly deals. Valheer, um, he'll be really interesting as we move through this process because depending on what his market is around the league, he could get pretty pricey for a bridge right tackle if that's what the Packers have in mind for him. Seems like there is some interest around the league in his services. Um, But for this exercise, I did bring him back at a pretty inexpensive team-friendly deal. Uh, Once free agency actually opened, I prioritized former Rams linebacker Corey Littleton. Uh, Littleton agreed to a four-year deal at $12 million per year. And that is a pretty big price tag to put on a linebacker, especially for a team that hasn't invested in the linebacker position traditionally. But uh, my thought process is this. There are guys like Schobert and Kwiatkowski that could be had at a discount at the linebacker position. But as much as Petten likes to play uh, with one linebacker in this system, at least as of late, I want to make sure that the linebacker that I play can kind of do it all. And I get that with Corey Littleton. And um, the other routes are addressing linebackers, obviously the draft 
And I was a little bit nervous to put Andrew in a position to try to have uh, to address the linebacker position uh, there and really force that issue. Because if guys like Queen and Murray are gone, it gets pretty thin pretty quick. And so I like having linebacker taken care of here, even if it means that I do have to pay up for it, which I certainly did. But after Littleton, uh, I considered going back to someone like Austin Hooper. And technically, I could have paid Hooper and still had room for the rookie class and Kenny Clark, uh, his extension, uh, but it would have been really, really tight and probably not super realistic to do that. And so instead, I went a totally different direction here and I paid defensive lineman Michael Pierce. I uh, paid him $7 million a year to join the trenches in Green Bay. And Pierce is a really talented player. And there are a few reasons why I think he makes sense for the Packers. There's always that uh, Milt Hendrickson connection uh, to the Baltimore players that we've seen come into Green Bay in the last couple of years. Um, he obviously has the connection with Zedarius Smith. Uh, but for me, this was less about Pierce specifically and more about the idea of investing in some help for Kenny Clark because Clark played in an unreal amount of snaps in 2019. And luckily, Clark has been a super healthy player for the Packers. But when you're getting ready to pay a young player like Clark, you want to make sure that he is rested and used in the most impactful ways possible. And that means letting Clark uh, come off the field sometimes. And so I pulled the trigger on Michael Pierce, but there are going to be a lot of guys kind of in that range that I think could be second wave kind of free agent guys that could come into Green Bay and make a big difference. Um, there's guys like Marcel Darius and Snacks Harrison who are older, cheaper options as well. Um, but there are a lot of ways that Green Bay could get better at defensive line and free agency. And I like the value I got with my money doing that here. Um, but that's it. And that's all I did. So to review, um, Brian Balaga is the big departure. Um, we had Veldheer stick around to hold us over at right tackle. We brought back Mercedes Lewis on a cheap deal. And then we added Corey Littleton and Michael Pierce to help get that defense right. And that's all we got going for free agency, Andrew. What are you going to do to help us in the draft? All right. Now, I like that you said that you took my feelings into consideration and not having to make <laughs> my job too difficult. I did not do the same for you on the flip back. So what? that'll be that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> but letting Balaga walks walk makes me really nervous. And and I, I totally agree with you there. I, I would prefer the Packers bring him back, but we don't know. Um, I understand why they may not be able to. It's just that uncertainty at tackle is so much harder to deal with than uncertainty at other positions. Like, to be one Valdir injury away from a rookie or Alex Light or, like, Jason Spriggs, remember that guy, oh, uh, starting at tackle, that would not be fun. But freeing up that money to address other needs certainly has its appeal. I, I actually probably like Michael Pierce a little bit more than Littleton. And and I really do like Littleton and I like the fit there, but I think you have to provide a better defensive front to allow Littleton to succeed. So that being said, here's the draft <laughs> class that I was able to put together to support your free agent moves. And I was trying not to fill needs as much as just get the best players available. Um, but at pick 30, the one of the guys that you were worried about not sliding to me did, and that was a uh, linebacker Kenneth Murray from from Oklahoma. Actually, oh, wow. Queen and Murray were both available in this situation, um, but Murray is my 16th rated player overall. I have him a little bit higher than Queen, and that 9.88 RAS score is going to intrigue Brian Gutekunst. So, Kyle, you invested big money in Corey Littleton, and there's going to be a lot of people out there that tell you Mike Pettin plays a lot of single linebacker, and it's going to be really foolish to invest 
in the off-ball linebacker position again in the first round. However, here's where research comes in. Go back to that really successful 2009 Jets team that he coordinated, and you have David Harris and Bart Scott manning the middle and changing things in a big way. In fact, they were their two leading tacklers. They both had like outstanding seasons. And I think Littleton and Murray complement each other really well. And they both provide enough versatility to stay on the field together in passing situations. And now you have this sideline to sideline speed. That's going to be really special. It's going to be fun to watch. What an awesome change of pace after AJ Hawk (laughs) and Blake Martinez. Like, like not, I appreciate both of those guys for what they were, but they were not sideline to sideline guys. And, And so to have two of those, man, talk about being spoiled. At pick 62, wide receiver Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State fell in my lap, and he is my 18th overall rated player, and I know I am way higher on him than most people, but I love his ability to take the top off the defense. I also like the ability to be a gadget player in Matt LaFleur's offense, so this one, it was it was just way too much of a value to look anywhere else, and you didn't touch on wide receiver in free agency, so there you go. That's my gift to you. Uh, finally, I had to make a trade. So uh, thank, thankful that the Draft Network allows its premium subscribers to do some trades because I needed to uh, because I was getting real nervous about this tackle situation <laughs> with Jared Valdir. And so I maneuvered. I, I traded 94 and then uh, 192, which is a sixth rounder, and 218, which is a seventh rounder. The Packers have extra picks in both the sixth and seventh. So I used those two to move up and take Ezra Cleveland from Boise State. I had to move up because I completely ignored tackle in the first two rounds. Well, really, like the value wasn't there, but I also ignored it. And Kyle uh, put me in a bit of a terrible place because he left Brian Belagawak. And uh, Ezra Cleveland's actually my 58th rated player, so 86 to me is a good value. He's an athletic tackle who needs to improve his anchor against power rushes and in the run game. So the big question here is, you know, is he going to give everybody nightmares about Jason Spriggs or could he be more like a David Bakhtiari who learns how to play the power game? Um, more than likely, he's probably somewhere in between those two guys. I have no idea what Matt LaFleur actually prefers in tackles because we haven't really seen one drafted yet. But if he wants to, uh, if he wants the pass block move, tack, like the move tackle, you know what I mean? Like the athletic sl- kick slide guy, um, then Ezra Cleveland has great value. It would be really important, no matter what his preference is, for Jared Valdir to stay healthy. Um, but especially in this situation, because you do not want Ezra Cleveland playing year one. Yeah, I mean, I can totally see a concern with trying to get him on the field right away. That would be um, kind of a nightmare as far as like needing to get that play strength up before he's out there trying to take those snaps. But um, this is a really interesting group here. I'm, I want to just pass some things along to you about Ezra Cleveland because he is such a polarizing player, um, especially on draft Twitter. There's a lot of people who love him, a lot of people who hate him. He obviously put up incredible numbers at the Combine. Um, he just kind of is a guy, if you listen to him in interviews, who, like, just does what he wants. Um, The dude has, like, a moped, like, motorbike that he rides around campus, and that's, like, funny in, like, some respects, but when you're, like, a massive offensive tackle, like, that's, like, even funnier, and he's just like, well, it's the best way for me to get to my class and get really close to a building without having to fight for parking spots. So he's like, I don't care. And then someone did an interview and was like, hey, um, how do you like measure success in football? And he's like, well, 
at Boise State, we have a tradition that if we pancake somebody, we rip off the towel that they have. You know, some players like have that towel for their hands. We take that towel, we rip it from them, and then we put it in our pants, and then we hang it in our locker after the game. And it's just like this guy is like kind of crazy. <laughs> And you're kind of like, well, that might be the kind of guy that, like, we need in the trenches. Just somebody who has just a little bit of crazy um, and obviously, like, the athletic profile to boot. So I'm really interested you, to keep calling Ezra Cleveland because he's kind of crazy. And and you have to, like, not not only that fit, knowing the Packers offensive linemen's personalities and, like, you know, kind of the larger <laughs> yeah. than life, like the, the David Bakhtiari uh, Billy Turner kind of like wild, uh, fun, fun loving guys. Like you, you would have to like the fit there. Um, but then I think in addition, you have to like that a guy whose main question is going to be strength has maybe a little bit of an edge to him. So you, you think he likes to be kind of nasty and physical. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So Ezra Cleveland, I know you got a little distracted talking about your third-round pick there, but super interesting guy that's, you know, mocked anywhere from late first round where the Packers are uh, to, you know, late second to early third, kind of where you got him here. So uh, interesting to watch him throughout the rest of the process. But uh, getting back on track, I really do like uh, what you were able to come away with here. I freaked out a little bit when I saw that you invested in Kenneth Murray after I so diligently handled linebacker for you in free agency. But I do like uh, what you said about how Petten has used linebackers in the past, and I don't think we know exactly how Petten wishes to deploy linebackers, uh, given the talent that he's had. But uh, man, giving him an injection of speed and athleticism like we see here and what you've done would be certainly, you know, the most talented group that he's had to work with. And you know that I love Ayuk, and getting Cleveland at that point in the draft is pretty crazy. So uh, well done, tip of the hat to you, sir. Um, but I guess. I guess now it is time for you to go ahead and show me up here and take your um, turn going through free agency. So obviously you know what I did in free agency because you had to so that you could do your yes. draft. But I want to yeah. explain myself a little bit here. Please explain yourself because I'm so really So it mad. would have been really easy <laughs> for me to just do what you did like or some other version of it like maybe sign Joe Schobert instead of Littleton and maybe replace Michael Pierce with another similarly priced priced defensive lineman or I could have gotten Austin Hooper that stuff's boring Kyle that's, that's I wanted to get a little crazy and I almost and I got to tell you almost went all in on Chris Jones because oh. he was available in my scenario but I don't think he's going to be available in real life. So I wanted to have some semblance of realism. But instead of going with a couple of high-priced guys, I wanted to spread it out a little bit and see what would happen if Brian Gutekunst kind of went for some of those like mid to low-mid-tier free agents. And so this is this is what I did. Obviously, Jimmy Graham is gone. We know that. Um, and, and I also released Lane Taylor. But I didn't re-sign anybody, not a single player. Okay, and here's why. I really wanted Brian Balaga back, and I stuck with it too long in the re-signing, and I ran out of time. But um, Spot Track is saying that Brian Balaga's annual salary should be around 11.8 million. I went all the way up to 13, and I also extended it out to three years, and I was not willing to go farther than that. Four years for me is just too much. Brian Belag is a lot younger than we think he is. He's only 31. Um, but going beyond that with a little, you know, some injury history and, and other things I, I wasn't comfortable with. So I had to let him go. And I didn't re-sign Jared Valdir because my plan was to get a different value in free agency and then let you take care of it in the draft. 
And uh, we'll find out what happened. So in free agency, I went ahead. I signed linebacker Nick Kwiatkowski for a four-year, $4 million per year contract. I think that's actually a really good value. Um, he might demand a little bit higher than that, but we have to remember he was mostly a backup for, for the early part of his career. Uh, I also got defensive lineman Danny Shelton, three years, $4 million, uh, per season. And defensive lineman Vernon Butler, three years, three and a half million per. Doesn't really matter what the the stakes of these are, but the, to keep in mind, these are all pretty low uh, budget friendly contracts. I got wide receiver Philip Dorsett, two years, three million, and then tight end Blake Bell, two years, two million per. Um, so that's going to leave me approximately eighteen point eight million dollars in cap space. So that's going to give us enough room for our draft picks but then also a very healthy amount for the Kenny Clark extension and also have some money for rollover and, and other things. So my thought process in Danny Shelton and Vernon Butler is these dudes are huge. And I, I know you know these guys because they were big draft names, uh, you know, going back a few years. But they're huge guys and they move really well. And that's what I love. They're going to occupy blockers. That's going to help keep Kenny Clark fresh. Um, it's also going to prevent another San Francisco debacle. So you you you're probably not going to be playing all three of these guys unless it's goal line um, or like a really obvious short yardage situation. But to have those guys to rotate in, keep Kenny Clark fresh. You mentioned that in your situation. Um, but then also just to have rotational two-man fronts, to have guys that you can put alongside of a Dean Lowry when Kenny Clark's not on the field or when Kenny is to have another guy in the middle who's going to demand attention, right? If not a double team, then, then you know, at least occupy their blocker and move some guys around and keep those linebackers clean. Um, I, I like Kwiatkowski because he's solid and he can at least provide what Blake Martinez did last season. I would actually expect him to be a tiny bit better just because the front should be able to keep him relatively clean. Uh, you have Philip, Philip Dorsett. I think he's a solid option. He brings speed. He's a reliable veteran presence. He was with Tom Brady the last two years, so he can handle the expectations Rodgers is going to put on him. He's going to help reduce the pressure that we would have on a rookie wide receiver. And I like Blake Bell as a veteran who still has upside. He was in Kansas City last year, made some nice plays in the playoffs, uh, played a nice role throughout the season. He was the former Oklahoma quarterback. He was the bell dozer. Not sure if you remember that. He came in in short yard situations because he was a gigantic quarterback and would run um, a lot of wildcat stuff. He brings a really unique athletic skill set and represents a low floor veteran. And I think he would fit in really nicely uh, with LaFleur's offense. Uh, and I was hoping to get a little bit younger and a little bit more athletic than Mercedes Lewis. That, that silence you hear is my utter disdain with what you've done to me with which which is is so much better because you did tell me in advance that I had some time to sort of respond to this in a rational manner but I'm so upset with you right now because of the bind that you've put me in because at least I brought back Jared Veld here in my Do you remember scenario. like five minutes ago when I talked about how disappointed I was that you didn't resign Balaga yeah and then you're like Oops. You're like, forget you, man. You're like, I'm not even going to give you Jared Veld here as a tie-over. My right tackle position is a barren wasteland here, okay? Um, <clears throat> I'm upset. Um, but I do like what you did on the defense. I'll give you that. Um, adding two low-cost defensive linemen is certainly a boost there. I think Kwiatkowski is a stabilizing presence at linebacker. 
Um, I'm a little bit nervous about what kind of player he is and who you pair him with, um, but I think he's obviously a great add in general. Um, I'm not happy about where I'm headed into the draft at right tackle, though. So in the first round, I watched to see if any of the tackles would fall far enough to be in play for me for a trade-up because I need this guy to come in and start right away because Andrew's a turd over here and leaving me with no options. Um, but as you'd expect, they did not. Nobody fell into range where I could get up to get them um, for anything even reasonable. So Josh Jones is someone that does intrigue me, but not enough to trade up. And I would have had to get up into the early 20s, and I wasn't willing to do that. Uh, so at 30, my options were Austin Jackson and Lucas Nang. Those are your options for starting right tackle in 2020. Uh, Ezra Cleveland is someone that you think about here maybe as well, but I went with uh, somebody else because I didn't want to pick the guy that Andrew got in the third round in the first round in this scenario. Um, but I went with Austin Jackson here, and I'm not really super excited about it. Um, but I think he has some things going in his favor that will make him attractive, especially to the Green Bay Packers. Um, first, he's super young. He doesn't even turn 21 until after the draft. And that is something that we know that Green Bay values in its early round prospects. And we know his RAS score is through the roof. So Austin Jackson is my pick here at number 30. And then I went a little crazy here and I traded up in the second round. So I traded my third round pick. Uh, to move back up in the second round to pick number 44 with the Indianapolis Colts to take TCU wide receiver Jalen Rager, who was still on the board. Um, I hated giving up my third round pick, but there was a really big run on receivers, and Rager and Hamler were the only two guys left um, of that top group at all. And so I was really nervous to not come out with a weapon in this scenario because I think that's a big deal in this draft. So I pulled the trigger and made sure that I did leave with that kind of a weapon. So so uh, am I proud of what I did? No. Was it necessary because Andrew left me with no options at right tackle? Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> Kyle. Kyle. Austin what? Jackson. Austin Jackson. Yes. Really? Are you yes. kidding me? Did you even look at my player ratings this week? Which, more on that later. I do not like that pick at all. If you would have picked Lucas Niang, yeah, I would have been behind that. He's my tackle five. I love that dude. He is a colossal run blocker. Really like his athletic skill set. You give me Lucas Niang at 30, I'm happy. Awesome Jackson, gross. <laughs> Rager, great pickup. I like that. Um, I think he would look really nice alongside Devontae and Philip Dorsett. That gives Lafleur a lot of opportunity to do some very different things. And obviously this was not an ideal situation. I, you know, it, the defensive line is a lot better. Linebackers. Okay. Wide receiver is maybe slight. Well, it's definitely better after your draft. Um, tackle takes a significant step back. Um, but with the cap space I left, I suppose you could probably get Valdir back for a season uh, if you really wanted to do that. Um, but I would say out of our two situations, obviously your free agency, my draft was the better of the two, right? Whatever, man. I'm upset. <laughs> Are we not talking now? Because that would be doing a podcast very <laughs> Um, so this week I released my top 75, actually 76, because I couldn't differentiate between 75 and 76, uh, ranked players based on my film grades. And I've asked Kyle to give me a critique, but just understand that if you disagree with me in any way, I will throw a hissy fit on the show and probably quit the podcast. 
Andrew has actually moved his finger to the end call button, which you can't see. So we are on seriously thin ice here, people. So like his rankings. Um, but seriously, um, I love a lot of what I see in your rankings here. I love that you were honest about what you saw on film and didn't just try to justify things to make your takes match other evals on Twitter or a big draft or whatever. So uh, some of this isn't a critique. Some of it is just what I think is really, really interesting um, from what you've seen here in these players. So uh, let's start there because you, friend, love Michigan's Cesar Ruiz like a lot. Uh, he's your number six overall prospect. And I've said that if the Packers picked Ruiz at 30, people would freak the heck out, but it might actually be a really nice pick down the road and pay off big time because he's that kind of a prospect. I think he's that good. Um, but go ahead and explain this one to me because uh, he's all the way up at six for you, and I have not seen that from anyone. So tell me about Cesar Ruiz. Yeah, and I, I did figure this is probably going to be the most obvious question. It, it does stick out like a sore thumb, but um, Ruiz might be more of an end of the first round pick, which means he's a really, really good interior offensive lineman. And it shouldn't be a surprise that when I'm grading based simply on film, that a player who is really good at a position that's not very highly valued would end up higher than you would expect. So I think you were, well, yeah, you just told, you just said, uh, you were somebody who had connected the dots of potentially the the Packers and Cesar Ruiz. And it would be interesting because he could be a potential replacement for Corey Lindsley or Billy Turner after the upcoming season. The one thing that I do want to clarify, I don't think Ruiz is like a Quentin Nelson interior offensive line kind of prospect, and he's not going to go anywhere near that ballpark. Um, but he is really, really good. And when you think back in draft history, somebody like Travis Frederick to the Cowboys end of the first round, like an incredibly highly rated center. Um, and obviously Travis Frederick, um, when when he's been available to play, has been a all pro caliber center. Um, Cesar Ruiz could be that. I, I actually like my guard a little bit more than center, but um, fantastic prospect. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. And the Packers are going to have more movement on that offensive line, especially at center and right guard, maybe than people even realize in the near future. So, you know, could be an upsetting pick, but someone who could have an impact in really, really big ways. So interesting name to watch there. Um, and let's just talk about a couple of your wide receivers here that you've got. Uh, Justin Jefferson at 14 and LaVisca Chenault at 15, right next to each other. Um I think you know that I love Justin Jefferson, and I think he's the easiest decision in the world if he's on the board at 30. Goot's going to love him. Um, but I think you also know that I have big questions with Chenault, and a lot of it is with durability. And I've tried to set aside durability stuff and just try to value what he brings to the field. But I'm still going to be lower on him than you uh, just because I see him as an offensive weapon and not a guy who can truly be like your number two receiver, which is fine. I mean, he's a really special player. Um, he's definitely got some Percy Harvin, Harvin vibes uh, for me as far as role on, on an offense and those kinds of things and the injuries. You know, you can factor all that into a Percy Harvin comparison. Um, but you just have to understand that he's a really raw ball of clay when you're getting started with him. So uh, tell me what has these two really special offensive players uh, cracking your top 15, because that's really, really high compared to some other people. 
Well, I actually evaluated Justin Jefferson before the combine. So while his numbers still popped, they more confirmed what I saw on tape than actually surprised me. Uh, He is my current favorite player who could be at 30, but I am getting more and more convinced as each day goes on, he's going to be gone before the Packers pick. And I know you don't like LaVisca, but (laughs) this is where draft bias comes into play. So every evaluator does things a little bit differently. And I I reiterated over and over last year with DK Metcalf, I am looking more for what a prospect can do than what they can't. And Chenault is so, so, so good with the ball in his hand. So I think with a creative coach who's going to use jet sweeps and quick screens, they will be able to have a, a better version of Debo Samuel. So yes, you have to teach him how to run more than his current set of three routes. But he has all the skills to be really special. So you can make those Percy Harvin comparisons all you want, but I will remind you how good Percy Harvin was when he was healthy. Um, so I'm not going to argue that LaVisca's impact could be huge, and I'm... Oh, go for it. Sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say... <laughs> I was going to say that I we've had this discussion off the podcast before, and so you know we've we talked that LaVisca is someone that we've differed greatly from. So I went back to his film this week, and I still have the concerns that I had, but I did notice that his over-the-shoulder tracking is pretty good for a player that you think is more of that like short game stuff. And I hadn't noticed that before. And I do think that that bodes well for his ability to develop into a player who can really track the ball uh, downfield and grow in some of those ways. Um, Just really a natural catcher of the football, uh, which I probably didn't give him enough credit for the first time around. So didn't mean to interrupt you there. Just uh, wanted to say, you know, I'm not going to argue if if a player like Percy Harvin ends up in this offense, that would be super, super fun. um, and if the Packers pick Chanel, I'd be super excited about it. I just think that there's a wider variety of outcomes for a player like LaVisca and a little bit more risk involved. And that, that does make me a little bit nervous. I, I was just going to say, uh, before you so rudely cut me off, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that, that, that I, I love what LaVisca could do. And that's why I have him rated so high. I don't necessarily think he's a great fit for Green Bay. Oh, so I haven't moved on to the portion where I'm fitting guys into green bay and i i will definitely do that um towards the end of some of my evals is is come up with a new board based on how they fit in with green bay um jefferson fits to a t what green bay is looking for i think chenault is a better fit in some different types of offenses yeah i think jefferson is the clear guy that matches up in so many different ways and we've seen brian goodikens willing to throw some capital at trading up when he really likes a player and if i were to Put a bet on a player that he'd be willing to go up for a little bit. It might be Justin Jefferson, but we'll see how aggressive that they are when we get to April. But uh, let's move on here. We got to talk about really not moving far down your board here at all. Uh, Tell me about A.J. Terrell, Andrew. You got him at number 17 overall. I know, and people are going to think I'm crazy about this. I'm probably higher on A.J. Terrell than just about anybody. He's actually my cornerback, too. Um, And that's funny because C.J. Henderson from Florida is getting some talk to be going to Jacksonville at number nine overall. Um, But he combines elite athleticism with some really great technique and ball skills. So I have him rated higher than Henderson, which 
some people are going to think is asinine, but Henderson's really great in man-to-man, but he struggles in zone, and I think Terrell is going to be more polished to play both right away. So there's going to be some teams who are going to value Henderson much higher because they play primarily man coverage. But I prefer a scheme-diverse player first, and I also really like his ball skills better than Henderson. So, um, yeah, A.J. Terrell surprised the heck out of me. I mean, at first of all, he wasn't super on my radar. I was going to look at him before the combine, and then he he really uh, blew up with some great numbers. But then his tape backed everything up. Yeah, I just got around to some of his tape just a couple of days ago, and he has one of the most natural abilities to turn and locate the football while staying in phase that I've really seen in a long time. And I haven't done a deep dive on him like you have, but uh, one of the biggest knocks on Terrell is his wiry frame. He's kind of a skinny dude. He's tall and lanky, but I would guess that if Terrell were 205 pounds instead of 195, he might really be kind of in that first round discussion, at least more than we're seeing uh, right now. So I'm, I'm interested to look at him a little bit more because he did look like a pretty special prospect on the tape that I did see. Um, can we talk about Austin Jackson a little bit? Sure, the, sure the uh, former <laughs> New York Yankees outfielder. Oh, jeez, man. I, oh, I, no, the, the USC guy. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking mid-round prospects already. Oh, man. Um, I made Austin Jackson my first-round pick in our exercise, obviously. I, I'm not in love with Jackson as a prospect, as I said, uh, but I think he's a second-round player worth developing, especially at his age. Um, but Mr. Mertig here is completely out on Austin Jackson. So you've got him at number 76. Sorry, that was 76 for those of you in the back, um, which is not high. So what's going on with Austin Jackson? Yeah, as the draft dudes would say, I'm out. I'm all the way out. Yeah. Uh, he is currently my lowest rated player. Now, I'm only through like 76 prospects. Um, so that won't be the case for long. But I just don't think there's anything dynamic about Jackson. Yeah, he moves really well for a player his size. But he doesn't use that movement well in pass protection. Like, he'll get his set quick. Uh, like, he'll get into his set quick. But he doesn't react really well once he's there. And I think it's a combination of a lack of strength and a difficulty with balance. And to me, he just screams like Jason Spriggs all over again. Like, as... I. I don't know, Kyle. I'm just very nervous about him. I didn't like any of his tape. Okay. I'm sure he has redeeming qualities, but he's just, he's not my flavor. So we'll disagree on that one. That's That's fine. fine. Yeah. I think that there's a lot there to develop. And I think once you get into the bottom of the first, into the second round, and you're looking for that tackle of future, then you really are looking for... Uh, for some traits, and you're looking for a lot of developmental uh, pieces. And I think with a guy at his age and his experience, um, I think that there's a little bit of hope there that that's stuff that can be worked out. But again, I'm not excited to start him year one. So we're, we're on the same page there as far as his readiness to play. Um, but Andrew, I know you're going to do a little bit more work um, on some more guys in the coming weeks, and this is just kind of the beginning of these first 76. So um, you tell us a little bit more about your process you've got coming up here. Yeah, absolutely. So in the coming weeks, 
I'm going to be rating some more prospects. I'm hoping to get to about 125 total. I also have been working on a formula to rank prospects for the Packers. So essentially it's going to weight my film grade with their age and their relative athletic score um, and come out with, with a number that, that hopefully will be a little bit more indicative of who would actually be a realistic pick for Green Bay. So for instance, my wide receiver ranking by film is CeeDee Lamb, Henry Ruggs, slash Jerry Judy. They're kind of tied for two. Um, And then Justin Jefferson at four. But if you factor in age and RAS score, Lamb is still number one, but Ruggs jumps to a clear number two. Justin Jefferson is actually third, and then Jerry Judy fourth. So when Brian Gutekunst is favoring athleticism so much in his draft picks. I think this really shows a lot in in who might be a more realistic pick. So that might not seem like a big shift, but it is important in predicting who the Packers might like, because if I had factored age and RAS in last year, Rashawn Gary would have jumped out as a likely option at 12 instead of being a big surprise <laughs> for myself. So, um, that is all the time that we have for today. We went really long today, Kyle, but that's okay. We love talking about this stuff. Um, this has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. We'd love if you would let us know what you think about some of our offseason simulations, as well as uh, interacting with us on any of the draft prospects that you might like. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you feel like what we're doing. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. And next week, we're going to be back to continue our conversation about the offseason as we have a clear idea of free agency and who the Packers may actually target in the NFL draft. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember... Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.